Hey, good morning. Uh, great to be outside, huh? It's kind of cool. Look at you all at nine. You're trying to beat the heat. I know what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor uh, of Renovation Church. I was telling some friends uh, just this week that I said, you know, when we did uh, we did this huge kind of goodbye North Point Elementary service on our very last uh, Sunday at the building, and I, I don't think I ever thought we'd be back here. But here we are, uh, under the best of circumstances. Uh, construction, uh, if you haven't seen yet, on our building expansion has begun, uh, and it is going uh, wonderfully, which is awesome. So we're excited, excited about that. Well, as summer begins, we are, for the third summer in a row, actually going to be hanging out in the Old Testament. In fact, this summer, we are going to study the book of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is 14 chapters long, which is great because we have 14 Sundays in summer, starting from today all the way through Labor Day weekend. So it's going to be the perfect uh, book for us. So go ahead, let's let's open our Bibles together. You can do this in a number of different ways uh, this summer because we really want you having the Word of God in front of you still, because especially when we're studying a complex book like Zechariah, you're going to want to look at it. And we don't have screens for you to look at. We want you to see the Word of God. So really, I think there are three ways that you can do this this summer. One go old school, okay? I know retro's in. You can go back like 1975. You can bring your own Bible to church. Right? You could do it. It would be, you, it would be so cool. Thank you. I see some Bibles. I like that. Number two, uh, we are going to have church Bibles available at the Welcome Tent every Sunday. So if you want kind of on your way in, you can stop by, pick up a Bible. That's totally cool. Just drop it off on your way out. Or if you need it, you keep it. Or uh, number three, you can use our app. You just go to Outdoor Services uh, and tap Weekly Verses, and you'll see it there as well. So go ahead, open up to Zechariah chapter 1. It is the second to the last book in the Old Testament, if you want to find it that way. Or if you did grab a church Bible, we're on page 646. Now, Zechariah is a book that most people don't know much about, even even long-time Christians. So no worries if you don't know anything about the book of Zechariah. That's okay. You are at a teaching church where we walk through the Bible. We teach it to you. So that's what we want to do this summer. Zechariah, believe it or not, is a very important book of the Old Testament. In fact, it is quoted or alluded to over 40 times in the New Testament. In fact, when you look at just uh, the gospel accounts of Holy Week, that's the week of Jesus' death and resurrection. When you look at just that week, only the book of Psalms is quoted more than the book of Zechariah. And so it's an incredibly important book to the Bible. There are so many important prophecies in there about the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and even Jesus' second coming back to earth. So let's take a look. Uh, We're going to be right on chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning. Summer has started. Okay, here we go. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Iddo. Okay, now let me say something about this. This is actually really interesting. What's really cool about this verse is that it allows us to very specifically date the ministry and prophecies of Zechariah. You see where it says the second year of Darius? Okay, now Darius was the king of Persia, which technically ruled over Judah and Israel at that time. And because Persia was such a dominant empire okay, in well, history, this is my experiment, archaeologists so have dug up and we know so much about their kings. And so when it says during the second year of Darius, we know with certainty that these very first prophecies from Zechariah occurred either in late October or early November of the year 520. That's actually really cool. So we know exactly where this is in history. 
So, okay, what was happening in the year 520? In Israel during that time, what, 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 what was going on? Let's actually take a few minutes here and set some historical context. Because if we just, you know, you're just reading through the Bible, and maybe you do this. You know, this is why I think a study Bible is really helpful. But if you're just reading through the Bible and you see some verses and you don't know the historical context, it's not all that helpful because, A, it's not going to make a ton of sense. And, B, it's really easy to misapply it, which people do all the time nowadays. So let me just give me four or five minutes. And let me just set some historical context. We're going to go back about a thousand years in Israel's history, and then we'll zoom into 520 to the time of Zechariah. Now, if we go back to Joshua, which we studied last summer. Now, I know, believe it or not, over 500 of you are new just from last summer. But if you were here with us last summer, we studied the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. We spent 14 weeks, a super fun and powerful series for our church. If you weren't here, uh, you can always podcast that on our, on our app. But in Joshua, the Israelites, they get to the promised land, and they start to make the promised land their home. And that was about 1400 B.C., so 1,400 years before Jesus. By the way, as we establish historical context, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of dates at you. If, if that's like too much for you or you're really interested in it, we have put kind of a timeline of Zechariah, again, in the Outdoor Services tab because we don't have a screen, so we're using that a lot. So if you go to Outdoor Services tab and you click on Zechariah Timeline, uh, you can see all those dates if that's interesting to you. So Joshua comes in at 1400 B.C. For the next 400 years, the Israelites kind of go through this cycle of running into sin and idolatry and coming back to God, and they're ruled by these various judges. Well, about a thousand BC, Israel begins to get kings, and they have Saul and King David and Solomon, and they have the nation of Israel. Well, eventually that big, long nation of Israel splits in two, and the northern kingdom keeps the name Israel, but that kingdom is exiled away to Assyria in the year 722. So there's only the southern kingdom left, which is called Judah, and that's where Jerusalem is. And by the time you get to about 600 BC, the, the Jews of Judah are so far away from God. Kind of in mass, they are just bowing down to idols and all the sin that comes with it. It is not good. Long gone are the days of Moses and Joshua and King David. And so God sends them prophets like Jeremiah to warn them. Hey, if you if you don't stop this, if you don't stop engaging in all this sin and all this idolatry, I'm going to exile you out of your land. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, in really one of the most important parts of the Old Testament is in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's king of the Babylonian Empire, he comes to Jerusalem with his army. He takes it over. They knock down the walls. They burn down the temple from the Old Testament, and they exile all of the people away to Babylon. And so now all the Jews are living in the Babylonian Empire in exile, and they are there. Then, about 50 years into their exile, that mighty nation of Babylon is actually conquered by an even greater nation of Persia. And the king of Persia, King Cyrus, in his very first year, so this is about 538 or 537 BC, he declares that the Jews can go home. They can go back to Jerusalem. They can begin to rebuild the temple. He says, all right, you can all go home. But actually, only about 50,000 people go home. The rest of them stay in Babylon. And you might think, why would they do that? Why would they not go home to Jerusalem? Well, it's been 50 years. So even if you're 50 years old, think about this. You, you, you've never even seen Jerusalem. You grew up in Babylon. You raised your kids in Babylon. 
And so most of the people don't go back, but 50,000 people go back to Jerusalem in 537 BC. And they get there and the city is just ruined, right? It's a ruined city. There's rubble everywhere. Their, their sacred temple, it is burned to the ground. It's devastating. Not to mention the land is desolate. They can't grow crops. There's opposition. It's incredibly hard. So they get back to the city in 537. First thing they do, they go to the, the temple site and they build the altar so they at least can do sacrifices again. And as soon as they finish building the altar, they get all this opposition from their eni- enemies around them saying, oh, no, 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 you can't build the temple. You can't do this. You can't do this. And so they quit and they stop. And for 17 years, they are struggling mightily. And then it's in the year of 520, in that October or November, that Zechariah comes on the scene. So the Jews have already been back for 17 years when Zechariah gets there. And they've struggled mightily for those 17 years. It's been so difficult. Their temple's like 2% done. Uh, Not to mention the prophet Haggai, which if you ever need to get his attention, you just say, hey, guy, come over here. (laughs) Anyway, Haggai is a contemporary with Zechariah. And he's telling the people, if you read Haggai, hey, you're spending so much time just building your own lives and building your houses. You've forsaken the temple. You've forsaken God's work. In part because rebuilding is exhausting. I mean, imagine coming back to that ruined city and going, this is... This is never going to be in its glory that it once was. And so the people are tired, they're distraught, they're frustrated, and it's at that moment, after 17 years of frustration, that God sends in the prophet Zechariah to encourage the people, to point them back to God, and to tell them that a better time will come when the Messiah comes. And when he comes back again. So let's take a look now at, now that we understand. So now you're not just reading random verses in Zechariah. You know where we are in history, right? All right, good. If you forget, you can check your app later. Okay. All right. The first six verses of the book are really just kind of an introduction to the book. And then what happens is Zechariah goes into eight prophetic visions, which we're going to get to uh, next week. Okay. So let's, let's read verses two through six now and see what Zechariah says as an introduction. He says, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your ancestors, to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. And where are your ancestors now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Then they repented and said, the Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices to serve, just as he determined to do. Okay, so what's happening here is God is warning this particular group that has returned to Jerusalem. And he warns them, please learn from the past learn from the past. In other words, don't start going down the same road as your ancestors just because the path that you are on looks a little bit rough. Because God warned their ancestors. He said, listen, if you continue on this road of just worshiping statues and all the sin that's associated with that, like temple prostitution and all of those things, if you continue down that road, I'm going to exile you. And if you read the, the Old Testament, God doesn't just aloofly say that to them. He pleads with them like a loving father for centuries, literally centuries. He is so patient with them. He warns them of the things to come. But like Zechariah says, they don't pay attention to him. They just keep right on with their evil practices 
and their evil ways. And so God says that his word of judgment is going to be accomplished if they don't repent, if they don't return to him. They cannot outrun it. Okay, that's verse 6. He says, did not my words overtake your ancestors? And those words are still true for today. We cannot outrun God's words. We think we can, but we can't. I think too often as Christians, we're kind of like toddlers trying to tell their parents that they don't need a nap. Anybody we got toddlers like that? You know what I'm saying? Right, you've had that. You've been there, okay? Right, it's like you're talking to your toddler and you say, okay, honey, sweetheart, it's nap time. And they're like, I don't need a nap, right? And they're just gonna tell you over and over that they don't need it. And you're gonna say to them, all right, listen, honey, listen. Listen to your wise mother, to your brilliant father, okay? Right, if you don't take a nap, you are going to suffer the, con- by the way, reasoning with toddlers works great. Uh, if <laughs> <laughs> if you don't take a nap, you are going to suffer the consequences of it. In fact, honey, you're going to transform into this terrible monster, okay? And then it's going to be bad for everyone, including you, right? And they're going to look back at you and say, no, I know better. Okay, so what happens then if you let them go their own way, right? What will happen? Well, if you let them go their own way, won't the wisdom of your words catch up to them and overtake them? Absolutely. Okay, so that is what God is saying in this passage when he says, my words, my wisdom, my decrees overtook them. And the same is true for us today. Christians, if we continue in our sin, God's discipline, or even honestly just the natural consequences of that will overtake us. You can't outrun it. But no one seems to believe God when he says this. This is why Zechariah says, and where are your ancestors now? Like the ones who rebelled before the exiles, exile. Where are, the ones that said, God would never exile us. This is the promised land. He wouldn't do that. We're fine. No, God's not going to exile us. God is love. He's saying, and where are they now? In their humiliation, they were exiled to Babylon. And now they're dead buried in Babylon instead of Jerusalem. So my friends, yes, God is serious about love, but he is also serious about holiness. Yes, God keeps his promises, but remember he also promised that he would judge us for our sin if we do not return to him, if we do not repent. There is not a road in which you can walk away from God and find life. It might look like it at first, but there is no such road. And so if you are walking away from God right now, and some of you are doing that even slowly, if you are walking away from God right now, hear the word of the Lord from Zechariah. You've got to learn from the past. Learn from those who have walked that road of rebellion before you. It never, hear me, it never leads to anywhere good. And so what does God tell tell us to do instead? Okay, this is, look at verse 3 one more time. I think verse 3 is really the central point of this passage and this introduction. It says this, Therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. This is the holiness and the grace of God together. God is saying, learn from others. Okay, learn from this word. Don't go down that path of rebellion any longer. Return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. 
I want you to understand that this, this particular prophetic word actually would have been pretty hard and pretty frustrating for the people to hear that Zechariah was speaking to. I honestly believe that they would have said, wait a second, I'm sorry, what did you say, Zechariah? Like, return to you? What? What do you mean, return to you? That's the last thing that we thought that you would say to us because we are the people who did return to you. We came back from exile. Nobody else came back. You ought to be prophesying to the people in Babylon and saying, you returned to me. We did return to you. And yet remember... All throughout the Bible, we see that God isn't all that interested in where your physical body is, but where your heart is. And so, yes, here you are at church today, right? Outside in the heat. And sure, there are plenty of people calling themselves Christians who aren't attending a church today. But God doesn't want you to just bring your body. He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants all of you. And he's saying to you today, return to me, return to me. But it is so hard to return. I just, it's hard. I, I heard a story uh, this week about a young man who years ago, he was driving home from college. His parents, with his parents, they had come to pick him up. And he uh, lived in, or went to college in Chicago. And they were driving home to uh, Philadelphia. And this was long before the days that we had GPSs on our phone. And so... They were driving back to Philadelphia, and they said they were just going to drive through the night. And he had kind of like the midnight shift uh, through the night. And while he was driving, uh, they encountered this detour that was uh, pretty poorly uh, marked. And he tried to follow the signs for 30 east because they're going to the east coast to Philadelphia. But it was really which, unclear which road of the detour was for 30 east and what was for uh, 30 west. And the young man honestly didn't try hard enough to figure out the truth, and he was too prideful to look again or double check. And so a number of hours later... He's still driving through the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere, and he's super surprised to see that there is another town in Ohio also named Bryan, Ohio, because he was pretty sure he had just been in Bryan, Ohio a few hours ago, and then it hit him that he had actually for hours been driving back on 30 west instead of going on 30 east. And for hours, even though he kept telling himself, no, it's fine, I'm going the right way, I'm going the right way, he had been driving the wrong way. And I think like when that realization hits you, right, that is an awful moment to have to stop and admit that you've been going the wrong way, to have to kind of then wake up your family and say, I'm really sorry, guys. Uh, I've been driving us the wrong way for like three hours. That is painful. But the truth is, when you actually see the truth, and some of you, God is bringing you to the point of truth. When you see the truth, as painful as the reality is to admit it, You've got to turn around when you see the truth. And some of you, you need to turn around today. The Lord is whispering to your heart right now the words of Zechariah, return to me. Return to me, and I will return to you. And I know this is hard, especially if you made a bit of a mess of your life. Like the people of Zechariah, their life is messy. They are tired. They are discouraged. They're looking at this burned-down temple. You know, building is hard, but rebuilding is way harder. I mean, everybody was excited to build the temple the first time in 1 Kings, but nobody is all excited to rebuild it the second time. And maybe you feel like you are just staring at the burnt remains of a part of your life, and you're honestly going, I don't know how I'm going to restart this. It's a mess. 
And the thought of starting over, the thought of returning to God, getting serious about your faith again, honestly, it's felt daunting to you. And in part, that's why you haven't done it. But I'm just telling you, we are talking about a God in this book that parts the sea and raises the dead. And he can take the remains of something that feels burnt down in your life and he can make it beautiful again. He wants you back. And he's saying, return to me. Return to me. And it's so critical. Okay, it's so critical that you see the heart of the Father, the heart of God. Because otherwise you're not going to return. If you're looking at God like he is so mad at me, you're not going to want to return. And this is why I think Luke 15 is one of the most important chapters of the Bible where Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, about the young man who took all of his um, inheritance and all of his money and he, he left his father and he went away and he spent it all in wild living and in sinful living. But after the word of God overtakes him, it's the same thing because remember, there isn't a road in which you can walk away from God and find life. After that overtakes him and he's in poor circumstances, he finds himself wanting to eat the food of the pigs. And he says, you know what? I should return. I should go back. But what's his father going to think of him? But he goes back. And then when he sees his father, the word of God says that his father was filled with compassion. He ran. I'm sorry. I said what? He ran. I just... Like in my mind, I'm thinking that the father's going to be like, how dare you? How da- you left. You show your face here. No, no, no. This is representing the heart of God for those that would return. It says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He ran to him. And my friend, that is what God is wanting to do for you. If you return to him, he will not just return to you. He will run to you. That is the word of God. And so some of you here, you need to return to him. him. And some of you here, honestly, you need to come to him for the first time today. There are probably a few of you here that maybe, you know, maybe you had something to do with God earlier on in your life, right? Maybe you, you, you went to church as a kid or confirmation or something like that. But honestly, for much of your adult life, you haven't really followed God. And you certainly don't have a relationship with him. I just want to tell you that God is pursuing you today. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. If you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you commit your life to him, Jesus will save you and you can have life forever in heaven. That is amazing. And you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He will pay for your sins and you can be forgiven. But it just starts honestly with faith. It starts with you saying, okay, I haven't known God. I've been walking away from God, but I want that. I want to accept him in as my savior and my leader. And that's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. I think it's kind of like admitting you've been driving the wrong way. That's a hard thing to do. And it's kind of like looking at maybe what feels messy in your life and believing that God can change it, but he can. He can save you and he can turn your life around. And some of you need to say, I've been walking this way. I've been living maybe in a life of sin, but I want to leave that away and I want to follow God. I want to believe he died for my sins and be saved by him. And if you need to do that today, honestly, let's do that today, okay? In fact, let's do this. Let's have everybody outside here. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and maybe even just bow your head? And if there's anybody here out on this field today that you're going, I need, I need this. I actually need to come to God. I need to be forgiven. 
I need to have my sins paid for. I want to go to heaven. I want to know God. It is as simple as believing in Jesus Christ as your savior and your leader and committing your life to follow him. And he will do all of those things, forgive you and give you eternal life. If you are here and you need to do that for the first time today, would you do me a favor and just raise your hand up high to God and say, that's me. I want to be forgiven. I want to start a relationship with Jesus. Would you just, no one's looking at you, but if you just need that, would you boldly raise your hand up high? All right, amen. Amen. Anyone else? We just know that you need this. You need to be forgiven. You've got, you got to turn around. You're going the wrong way. You've got to start walking with God. If you need that, would you just raise your hand up? Anyone else? All right, for those of you that have your hand up, I just, you can put your hand down at this point. I, I want to pray with you, though. Let's all just keep, kind of keep our eyes closed in a, in a posture of prayer. Because I believe this is a special moment in your life. If you are here and you are making this decision, I want you to pray out loud with me and repeat after me whether you just made this decision or you've believed this for a really long time. Would you just repeat this after me? Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. Amen. All right, let's clap and celebrate. Uh, if you did raise your hand today, I want to meet with you after the service and just kind of give you, just for a minute or two, uh, just some instructions on how to begin this walk with Jesus. And I'll come up and kind of explain that uh, after the service. But now I'm just going to pray, and then we'll transition into a, a, final, a final song of worship. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this book of Zechariah. Uh, we pray that you are with us, God, as we figure out how to study it and how to walk through it this summer, Jesus. Uh, we pray that you speak to us all summer long through it. And God, I just thank you for new life. I thank you for those who make commitments to follow you uh, this morning and that you walk with them, you would surround them and move with them uh, even this week, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.